Hello, and welcome to the Entertaining Abstracts Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah, and I've got a great show for all of you today. I'm going to jump right in with our first article, and it's called Big as a Car. Scientists reveal discovery of 326 million year old giant millipede fossil. And this came out in USA Today, and the article was by Jordan Mendoza. Researchers in Australia have discovered the first true millipede, a three inch long creature with 1,306 legs. But that bug doesn't come close to a recently discovered ancestor from more than 300 million years ago. One that scientists in England say was a millipede as big as a car at nearly nine feet long. The fossil was found on a beach in the city of Northumberland in northern England, according to the report in the peer-reviewed journal of the Geological Society. Neil Davies, lead author of the study from the University of Cambridge's Department of Earth Scientists, said finding the fossil was a complete fluke because it was discovered in a block of sandstone that fell off a cliff on the beach in January 2018. The way the boulder had fallen, it had cracked open and perfectly exposed the fossil, which one of our former PhD students happened to spot when walking by. Now, nearly four years later, scientists say this is not only the third millipede fossil ever found, but it's the oldest and biggest to ever exist. The millipede, a species of Anthropluria, lived about 326 million years ago, way before dinosaurs were around. It was typically about 8.6 feet long. The millipede is bigger than previously discovered ancient sea scorpions, which were long thought to be the biggest invertebrate animal of all time. It was incredibly exciting to find, but the fossil is so large it took four of us to carry it up the cliff face, Davies said. The Amphiplura was alive about 45 million years before the Carboniferous period, where the ancient supercontinent Pangaea was mostly still intact. During that time period, present-day England was near the equator. The tropical climate allowed invertebrates and early amphibian species to thrive in vegetation surrounded by creeks and rivers. There are no clear answers as to why the species became extinct, but theories suggest warmer climates and the evolution of reptiles and dinosaurs were probable factors. Davies said the creature's diet may have played a significant role in its size. There were numerous high-nutrient nuts and seeds around, but the creatures may have been predators eating other invertebrates and amphibians. As huge as the fossil is, it's possible the creature could have actually been bigger. Davies said that when these millipedes die, their bodies would break apart. That's why only two other such fossils have been found, both of them in Germany, so the fossil could be only the creature's body. We have yet found a fossilized head, so it's difficult to know everything about them, he says. The fossil will be displayed at the University of Cambridge's Sedgwick Museum in 2022. Interesting stuff, right? Second article came out in the Daily Beast, and it's written by David Axe. China says this strange light was a record-breaking cosmic explosion. Others say it's just space garbage. About a year ago, a team of astronomers working in Hawaii glimpsed something in the night sky, a four-minute-long flash of light. Depending on who you ask, the flash was either a powerful explosion from 13.4 billion years ago, a virtual snapshot of the universe as it existed just 400 million years after its formation, or a reflection from a huge hunk of space junk lazily looping around Earth. Scientific treasure or garbage. Despite a year of heated debate and a flurry of studies, it's possible we may never know what caused this mysterious flash, dubbed GNZ11 flash, from the faraway galaxy where it may have originated. 
But this is high-stakes astronomy, either a landmark, a career-defining discovery, or the type of embarrassment people spend their whole lives trying to avoid. As astronomers stretch the limits of technology and scholarship to peer farther and farther into space, they run into more and more obstacles. Our telescopes aren't good enough, our computers are too slow, our data is too thin, distant observations are so delicate and shrouded in uncertainty that a passing piece of garbage can spoil everything. Back in 2017, a team of astronomers was peering through the Keck telescope in Hawaii observing GN Z11. They were using an infrared spectrometer attached to the telescope expecting to scrutinize the galaxy, which at 13.4 billion light years away is the oldest and most distant object humanity has ever observed, for clues about the early history of the universe. GNZ11, like many very old, very far away galaxies, is only visible in infrared. They didn't expect to witness an explosion. But if you believe the team's subsequent analysis, that's exactly what happened. For 245 seconds, Keck 1 registered what appeared to be a possible gamma ray burst from the universe's infancy. Observing 13.4 billion year old gamma ray bursts, or GRB, would be a profound stroke of luck with equally profound implications for the study of, well, everything. GRBs and their associated emission can be used to probe the star formation and reionization history in the era of cosmic dawn, Jiang and his team wrote in their initial paper, which appeared in the science journal Nature Astronomy in December 2020. Reionization refers to the eons half a billion years after the Big Bang when the hydrogen making up most of the atoms in the universe ionized and murky space became transparent. It's a mysterious era, the first eons of light following a period of hundreds of millions of years during which space was swirling with opaque gases. Witnessing an explosion from that time frame would be a scientific coup. This means that gamma ray bursts can be efficiently produced at a very early time, Jane told the Daily Beast. In other words, the explosions we associate with the deaths of stars and the creation of black holes started happening really early. If gamma rays were bursting as long as 13.4 billion years, it means the universe is structured and galaxy-forming mechanisms evolve fast into what we see around us today. But other astronomers weren't convinced that Jiang and his team had seen anything remotely interesting. The odds of glimpsing a gamma ray burst 13.4 billion light years away are infinitesimally small. In astronomy, a redshift is the change in a faraway galaxy's infrared structure that helps us to determine its age. GNZ11 naturally has a very high redshift, which suggests it's ancient, but astronomers haven't confirmed any other galaxies remotely this old. The next oldest galaxy, EGSY8PN, has a redshift of 8.7, meaning it's probably hundreds of millions of years younger than GNZ11. Astronomers would need to find a lot more galaxies in GNZ11's age range and spend a lot more time pointing telescopes at them in order to be sure what a gamma ray burst from these old galaxies even looks like. Mikulkowski and his team noted a very large sample of very high redshift galaxies is needed to detect such distant GRBs. It was way, way more likely that Jiang and his team caught a reflection from the cast-off Breeze-M upper stage of a six-year-old Russian proton rocket. He searched SpaceTrack, the largest publicly available database of Earth satellites and space debris, from an object close to the position of GNZ-11 flash at the time of observations. Mikulowski's team wrote, we found the Breeze-M space debris. The particular argument comes down in part to common sense. 
Nikolowski told the Daily Beast, the conclusion is that either it was an extraordinary discovery of something we have not yet seen, a gamma ray burst at Redshift 11, or an obvious explanation with a well-identified space debris, which we are certain went through the field of view at the Keck telescope or just outside of it with all the properties consistent with being a flash. Everyone can pick up the explanation they prefer, but I don't have doubts myself, Mikulowski added. He said he considers the controversy settled. Jiang and his team disagree. We looked into our records and found that this satellite was ruled out in our original analysis, they explained in a new paper, a preprint of which appeared online last week, but has not yet been peer-reviewed. Jiang et al.'s calculations put the Russian rocket shell and the potential GMZ-11 flash inches apart in the telescope's field of view, a distance they claim should preclude any confusion between the rocket and a gamma-ray burst from the distant galaxy. Besides, they added, the rocket's reflection was much fainter than what was needed to produce the flash. The year-long back and forth, which included two other major criticisms of the Jiang team's conclusion, has so far ended in an impasse, with no resolution in sight. We'll never know the true nature of this flash, Jiang said. If we have a lot of good data on confirmed gamma-ray bursts from billions of light-years away, we might be able to compare them to the GNZ-11 flash and see if they match. Jiang said he looked and couldn't find anything to form a comparison. I spent a lot of time searching, he explained. Unfortunately, we don't get such data. That could change in the future, though. Better telescopes such as NASA's new James Webb Space Telescope launched on December 25th as a Christmas treat combined with very powerful computers to help us spot and categorize faraway explosions. With time and luck and new technology, we might eventually be able to reassess the GNZ-11 flash. But Bing Zhang, a University of Nevada astronomer and member of Jiang's team, is urging patience. A lot of it. One needs very powerful telescopes to continuously monitor many distant but faint galaxies to constrain the event rate of GNZ-11 flash-like events, he told the Daily Beast. It's possible that a year ago, astronomers caught a flashing glimpse of the universe's infancy. It's also possible they caught a fleeting glimpse of Russia's space trash. For the foreseeable future, we probably won't know which it was. Next article. This one came out in the Associated Press and is written by Sarah Rankin. And it's titled, Experts Pull Documents and Money from Lee Statue Time Capsule. Conservation experts in Virginia's capital pulled books, money, ammunition, documents, and other artifacts from a long-sought-after time capsule found in the remnants of a pedestal that once held the statue of Confederate General Robert E. Lee. Over the course of about two hours, the team sliced open the 36-pound copper box and meticulously pried apart and documented the damp contents. The box had been tucked into a foundational cornerstone of the massive, and now mostly deconstructed, Richmond Monument since 1887. The time capsule had drawn subsequent interest, both because it proved to be elusive during an earlier search and because historical records had to have some speculation that it might contain a rare photo of President Abraham Lincoln after his death. Ultimately, such a photo was not found. The conservation team was able to identify many of the items immediately as they pulled them from the box, though some materials were warped from water damage and required further study. Experts were on hand to triage the artifacts. They were more waterlogged than we had hoped, but not as bad as it could have been, said Kate Ridgway, the lead conservator of the Virginia Department of Historic Resources. The time capsule had been found a day earlier, buried and sitting in water by workers wrapping up the removal of the Lee statue's pedestal. Ralph Northam ordered the enormous equestrian statue of Lee removed in 2020 amid the global protest movement sparked by the police killing of George Floyd. 
Litigation pushed back his plans and the statue was not removed until September after a court cleared the way. Contemporaneous news of the accounts of the late 1800s detailed the placement of the box in the cornerstone of the pedestal, but a lengthy search during the statue removal came up empty. Earlier this month, Northam ordered the pedestal removed as well, and crews working on the project again started to search for the artifact. A different time capsule was discovered two weeks ago, generating excitement, but hours of painstaking and ultimately anticlimactic examination suggested that artifacts was placed by someone else, perhaps someone involved with the construction. Ridgway said the measurements and copper material of the box opened Tuesday matched historical accounts. As the contents inside were unpacked, they largely lined up with the items listed in a newspaper article from the time. One tidbit in that newspaper article had led to some conjecture that the capsule might contain a historically significant photo of Lincoln. It listed among the contents a picture of Lincoln lying in his coffin. On Tuesday, conservators found a printed image from an 1865 issue of Harper's Weekly that they said seemed to show a figure grieving over Lincoln's grave. But it was not the much-anticipated photo. It was not an original, it was perhaps taken from a photograph, but it was an engraving, said Sue Donovan, conservator for special collections at the University of Virginia Library. The contents of the tightly packed box had expanded from the dampness and stuck together, making unpacking difficult, so conservators decided to relieve pressure by cutting down one side. Not ideal, but it's the way it is, Ridgway said. After Ridgway and other team members meticulously extracted each object, other conservators would cart the pieces to the back of the lab for further study and cataloging. The team made sure to photograph each object before manipulating it. Along with several waterlogged books, pamphlets, and newspapers, the box contained an envelope of Confederate money, which conservators carefully separated, and two carved artifacts, a Masonic symbol and a Confederate flag said to have been made from the tree that grew over General Stonewall Jackson's original grave. Conservators also pulled buttons, coins, and mine balls, a type of bullet used in the Civil War from the box. A bomb squad had checked the capsule Monday, partly to make sure there was no live ammunition inside. Ridgway told reporters after the box had been emptied that there was some question about whether calling the vessel a time capsule was the most accurate terminology, as it appeared to have had a definite date which it was expected to have been opened. A cornerstone box is probably more accurate, she said. No inscription could be seen on the box's interior or exterior, though Ridgway said it was possible that any such carving could have corroded away with time. The Lee Monument used to be part of a collection of Confederate statuary that dotted historic Monument Avenue in Richmond, which was a capital of the Confederacy for most of the Civil War. The other Confederate statues, which were the property of the city, were removed last year. Interesting stuff. This next article came out in USA Today, and it was written by Asha Gilbert. And it's called, 2021 is pulling out all the tricks. Fish rain from the sky in rare phenomena in Texas. As 2021 came to a close, a city in Texas had one last unexpected event, raining fish. Residents in Texarkana, almost 200 miles from Dallas, saw fish fall from the sky and land in their yards or sidewalks. 2021 pulled out all the tricks, including raining fish in Texarkana today. And no, this isn't a joke, the city of Texarkana wrote on a Facebook post. The city said raining fish is a phenomenon called animal rain that happens when small water animals like frogs, crabs, or small fish are swept into water spouts. James Arslich told WCIA he was working at a used car dealership when he heard loud noises outside. There was a crack of thunder and when we opened up the bay door, I looked outside and it was raining real hard and fish hit the ground, he told the outlet. 
Another person posted a video on Twitter captioned, Yep, it rained fish at my house, too. This isn't the first time fish fell from the sky. In 2017, teachers and students at an elementary school in Oroville, California, reported seeing 100 fish land in the school's playground and roof. While it's uncommon, it happens and is evidenced in several places in Texarkana today, the city wrote in a Facebook post. And please, for the sake of everyone, let's tiptoe into 2022 as quietly as possible. Wow, that's pretty amazing. Next article, this one came out in the New York Times and is titled, Did a Meteor Explode Over Pittsburgh? And it's written by Azzy Paybarrow. For Heather Lynn Eisler, the first morning of 2022 in Dormant, a neighborhood just south of downtown Pittsburgh, began like most days had in 2021. She was on her bed, scrolling through social media while her boyfriend was downstairs playing a game on his Xbox. Then the bed shook. The sensation, she later said, reminded me of fireworks and how you just stand too close you can feel it rumbling in your chest. Eisler, 34, looked out her bedroom window. It was gray, a little rainy, but calm. Her boyfriend said he too had felt something, as did a neighbor in their building. It was just like the feeling of a shockwave, Eisler recalled, but no sound or flash or anything like that. Diane Turncheck, an astronomer who lectures at Carnegie Mellon University, felt something powerful Saturday morning too. She was in her home atop a Pittsburgh hill, 1,120 feet above sea level. Her initial thought was that her dryer had fallen off the washing machine in the room next door. Calls started coming into the Pittsburgh office of the National Weather Service from people who had heard a really loud sound but didn't see anything, said Jenna Lake, a weather service meteorologist. Soon it seemed as if everyone was looking for answers. Lake's curiosity was more professional than personal. She was in the office that morning but did not feel or hear anything. Lake chalks this up to the fact that the office has pretty sturdy windows, and also possibly that our cleaning staff was here and maybe a vacuum was on. No earthquakes were detected by the seismograph at the nearby Allegheny University, Turncheck said. Seismographs are sensitive enough to detect earthquakes, but they're not calibrated to detect surface vibrations that rattle homes or windows. Lake said the air over Pittsburgh on Saturday was too benign for storms or lightning, so those were ruled out too. Airplanes were quickly discounted, Lake said, because they do not move as fast as the meteors that break pressure barriers, and we don't typically hear them when they're all the way up, flying at high altitude. Our guess was potentially a meteor, Lake said. It's the only thing besides an aircraft incident that would have been known to cause that type of sound. Chris Lenardi, also a weather service meteorologist based in Pittsburgh, said the thinking was that a meteor either exploded or vaporized. One of their colleagues used a device called a geostationary lightning mapper, which according to NASA can detect the momentary changes in an optical scene, indicating the presence of lightning. Since there were no storms in the area, meteorologists believe the source of the vibration was likely a meteor moving towards Earth pretty low in the atmosphere, relatively close, Blake said. Just after 4 p.m. Saturday, the Weather Service announced its conclusion on Twitter. The loud explosion heard over Southwest PA earlier may have been a meteor explosion. After the announcement, people took to social media to share their accounts and theories about what happened. Some posted videos on Twitter saying they'd captured the boom. One person posted a video of a backyard pond on Facebook in which fish can be seen almost jumping as if they had been startled. No discernible sound, the person wrote, but something spooked them. It's not the first time in recent memory that people have wondered about seemingly mysterious activities overhead. In December 2018, the sky over New York City erupted in blue light. People theorized about a UFO flyby or an alien invasion, although the cause turned out to be a transformer explosion at a Con Edison substation. In 2015, a 500-pound meteor streaked through the sky above western Pennsylvania. 
triggering a sonic boom. The Pacific Post Gazette reported this one. More recently, in December, a boom shook homes in New Hampshire, giving rise to theories that an earthquake or an aircraft was to blame. Satellite imagery, however, suggested that a meteor exploded in the atmosphere above the state. In Pittsburgh on Saturday, Lake said that nobody reported seeing anything below the cloud deck, which was about 2,000 feet above the ground. Lake thinks the meteor could have been a couple thousand feet above the ground, but not below the cloud cover. For now, a meteor explosion is the best theory about what happened Saturday, Lake said, and it will remain just a theory unless someone finds some rocks in their backyard, she said. Turnshack, the Carnegie Mellon lecturer, said that what she and others in Pittsburgh experienced on New Year's Day was rare and notable, a once-in-a-lifetime event. Despite the rarity, there's no shortage of movies depicting the dangers of a meteor, asteroid, or comet crashing into Earth, including The Day the Sky Exploded, Meteor, Armageddon, and the recent Don't Look Up. Astronomers are on the lookout for such things, Turnshek said. If we had found a large body coming, the best solution would probably be to send a rocket to sit next to it, and the gravitational pull of the rocket will pull it off course. In dormant, Ischler shared the Weather Service's conclusions with her friends and neighbors, mostly out of delight. The year, she said, had started off with a bang. And one final article, this one came out in BuzzFeed. These 19 historical mysteries still haven't actually been solved, so I finally decided to Google some theories. Have you ever read about a true mystery that stuck with you long after you'd learned about it? Thanks to the internet, you can spend hours looking up more stories that are sure to keep you up all night long. Here are the ones that had me bugging right now. Number one, whatever happened to the Sauter children? On December 24, 1945, the Sauter family home caught on fire with 10 members of the Sauter family inside. Jenny Sauter woke in the night to find her husband George's office completely engulfed in flames, at which point she woke her husband and the two rushed to wake the children. Though four of the Sauter children and their parents managed to escape the home, five children were assumed to have perished in the fire. In the years since, many have speculated on the strange circumstances surrounding this event and have begun to formulate their own theories on what actually happened that night. Though the official cause of the fire was deemed to be faulty wiring, some have actually argued that the Sauter family was the target of arson led by the Sicilian Mafia. George Sauter, an Italian immigrant, had been vocal in his opposition to dictator Benito Mussolini, leading a traveling insurance salesman to tell Sauter that his home would go up in smoke and that your children are going to be destroyed because of his comments. Some, including the Sauter family, speculate that the missing children are actually still alive due to the lack of human remains found in the rubble. Years after the fire, the Sauters received a photograph in the mail of a man with a caption reading that it was their now adult son, Louis, previously thought to have died. Wow, that's an interesting one. Number two, one of Australia's prime ministers just disappeared when he went for a swim in the ocean. On December 17, 1967, Prime Minister of Australia Harold Holt disappeared during an afternoon swim off Chevrolet Beach in Australia. Holt was accompanied by six others, though only one joined him in the water while the others refused, citing unsafe swimming conditions. Those present recount watching Holt swim deeper and deeper into the sea until he swam beneath the waves and never resurfaced. Once his companions lost sight of Holt and didn't hear any response to their calls, they quickly sought help from the Victoria Police, who dispatched a search party. Over 340 personnel searched for Holt, including diving teams as well as helicopters searching overhead. On January 7, 1968, the search for his body was called off and he was assumed to be dead by the public. However, this hasn't prevented the number of theories that have spawned in the years since his death. 
Some claim that Holt's death was actually an assassination from the CIA due to a rumor that he intended to pull Australia out of the Vietnam War. Others have cited a lack of Holt's body as proof that he isn't actually dead and faked his own death. Hmm. Number three, the missing minutes of the Watergate tapes. What happened during that time? Though the Watergate scandal focused on the Nixon administration's involvement in stealing the information from the offices of the Democratic Party, President Nixon was also known to have set up recording devices around the White House to record his own and others' conversations. When authorities discovered the existence of the tapes, they ordered Nixon to turn them over. But when he did so, 18 and a half minutes of the conversation were missing. Nixon's secretary, Rosemary Woods, said that she'd been reviewing the tapes and had accidentally recorded over this time when she reached around to answer a phone call and accidentally hit the record button on the tape. Because of the already secretive and scandalous nature of the Watergate scandal, many have spent decades since then speculating that this chunk of time had actually been intentionally erased. Perhaps. Number four. Whether Frank Morris, John Anglin, and his brother Clarence Anglin survived their escape from Alcatraz prison. On June 11, 1962, three Alcatraz prisoners escaped and were supposedly never seen or heard from again. The men, Frank Morris and brothers John and Clarence, spent about six months carving a hole in their adjacent cells using knives from the mess hall and other tools. They had also built a makeshift raft, and after climbing through the ventilation shaft of the prison and making their way onto the roof, they climbed over their perimeter fence and set off into the water. Later, police would find what they believed to be pieces of the raft floating in the San Francisco Bay, as well as what they believed to be the wallet of one of the brothers. Because of this, as well as the treacherous currents and conditions of the bay, the FBI announced that the men had likely died during their journey. However, their bodies were never recovered, and many believe the men actually survived the escape and were living somewhere in Florida or South America. Some who knew the Anglin family actually reported seeing two people resembling the brothers attending their father's funeral. Number five, the murder of Olaf Palm. Olaf Palm, the prime minister of Sweden, was murdered in Stockholm while walking with his wife. At first, the case seemed open and shut, with the primary suspect, Christer Peterson, being identified by witness to the murder, Mrs. Palm, as the perpetrator. Though Peterson was first convicted, he was later acquitted of the crime during an appeal, citing a lack of motive and an inability to find the murder weapon. Since then, no suspect has been tried, though several theories have been produced, including Kurdish rebels and the Yugoslavian Secret Service. Number six, what Pope Leo said to Attila the Hun. When Attila the Hun attempted to invade Italy in 452, Emperor Valentinian III sent three representatives to negotiate with him, including Pope Leo I. After these negotiations, Attila agreed to withdraw, prompting many to assume that it was Leo's presence and encouragement that convinced him to do so. However, there is no record of these negotiations, so many have often wondered what words were actually exchanged between these parties. Number seven, I want it to be solved, but it's seemingly more and more unlikely each day. D.B. Cooper. Perhaps one of the most well-known unsolved mysteries, this case revolves around a man who hijacked a Boeing 727, demanding $200,000 before jumping out of the plane with the money, never to be seen again. Though the FBI spent years searching for D.B. Cooper, some agents told the public that it was still unlikely he survived the fall, despite the fact that he was equipped with a parachute before he jumped from the plane. In 1980, an eight-year-old boy discovered a portion of the ransom money along the Columbian River while on vacation with his family. 
The mystery involved in this case is not only where D.B. Cooper is, but who he is as well. Authorities considered a variety of suspects, although none have enough evidence to actively pursue a criminal case. Number eight, what happened to Isabella Stewart Garner Museum paintings? In 1992, two men disguised as police officers broke into the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston, restrained the night guards, and proceeded to steal 13 priceless artifacts before escaping. At the time, the hall was worth about 200 million, but this estimate has since been raised. In more recent years, the FBI has made it known that they believe the thieves have ties to criminal organizations, specifically a criminal organization with a base in mid-Atlantic states and New England. However, early investigations even looked into actual security guards on patrol that night, though they were quickly cleared. To this day, there's been no sighting of any of the paintings or artifacts that were taken from the museum. Number nine, the mystery of the Somerton Man. In December 1948, an unidentified man's body was found on Somerton Park Beach in Australia. Though a natural death seemed unlikely, the coroner was unable to properly assert what had killed him. Strangely, the man had no items on his person that were able to provide his identity. Upon further examination, a piece of paper with the Persian phrase, Tamam Shud, was found in a sewn pocket on the man's trousers. The phrase loosely translates to, it is finished, further prompting the public's belief that foul play was involved in the Somerton man's death. This has also led many to believe the man was actually a spy. Though no identity has ever been confirmed, the Somerton man's body was exhumed May 2021, so we may hopefully have more information on this case soon. Number 10, the fate of the Mary Celeste crew. On December 4, 1872, Captain Morehouse of the Day Gratia was on voyage to Portugal when he noticed another ship in the distance, the Mary Celeste. When the Day Gratia approached, Morehouse noted that there was no one on the deck, and when his crew climbed aboard the Mary Celeste, they found no one on board. While there was water along the floor of the ship that had flooded in, the ship was in good condition, aside from the fact that it was unmanned in the middle of the ocean. Stranger still, the crew noticed a captain's log entry from Captain Benjamin Briggs just nine days earlier. On November 5, 1872, Captain Briggs, his wife and child, and seven other crew members set sail from New York Harbor only to never be seen or heard from again. Some suspect a natural disaster may have taken the crew like a water spout, but this is highly unlikely given the near-perfect state of the ship. Others theorize the crew of the Mary Celeste was actually killed by Captain Morehouse, who then claimed to have found the ship abandoned in an effort to collect on insurance. Number 11, the disappearance of Kirsha Jensen, a 14-year-old who went missing in 1983 while out riding her horse. It's quite significant within a New Zealand context because unsolved disappearances like this simply are not common. Kirsa Jensen disappeared on September 1st, 1983. After a search party was dispatched, authorities were able to locate her horse, Commodore, but were unable to find Kirsa. The last sighting of her places her near the mouth of the Hutakuri River, with witnesses describing seeing her with a bloodied face, and when questioned, she told them that she had fallen from her horse and that her parents should arrive soon to pick her up. Others recall her speaking to a man in a white van before she disappeared. Well, that's never a good sight. Number 12, the Amber Room. The Amber Room was a room in the Catherine Palace of the Tsarskoye Silo, a town in Russia that typically housed the imperial family and surrounding nobility. 
The room was considered an architectural beauty, adorned in amber panels and gold detailing, and was home to a number of carvings and pieces of artwork. During the invasion of the Soviet Union beginning in 1941, the Amber Room was dissembled by the German army to be sent to Prussia, where it was available for viewing. At the end of the war, no one saw the Amber Room again. Many believe that the Amber Room was again dissembled before being placed into a steamer but was taken out before it could reach its destination, which would mean that the remnants of the Amber Room are at the bottom of the ocean. Others believe that before the Nazis were captured, they'd already disassembled the Amber Room and hidden it away someplace secret. In 1979, the Russian government decided to attempt to reconstruct the Amber Room. As of 2003, the room was available for viewing still in the Tsarkoi Silo. Number 13, the missing men of Bermagwai, NSW, Australia. Five men disappeared in the 19th century, completely vanished off the face of the planet, with some very confusing things left behind. Lamont Young, a geological surveyor who conducted on-field work in Australia with his assistant and two friends in 1880. The group hired a boat driver, Thomas Towers, to take them out to continue their work where all five men seemingly disappeared. The boat was later found deserted against a series of rocks, abandoned. Hmm. Number 14. Who really was the man in the Iron Mask? The man in the Iron Mask was an unknown man who spent over 30 years in a series of French prisons, forced to wear a mask to conceal his identity to all those who saw him by his jailer. Though rumors and art often depict the prisoner wearing a mask of iron, witnesses claim the mask was actually made of black velvet. Many in years past and present have been curious about the identity of this man, fueled by the lengths to which his captors went in order to conceal his identity. Some believe the man is actually the illegitimate son of King Louis at the time, or perhaps his brother. Others believe he was the disgraced son of some nobility imprisoned to prevent future blunders. Number 15, Einstein's last words. Before falling asleep, Albert Einstein looked up at the nurse attending him and uttered what would be his final words before falling asleep and passing away peacefully. But when prompted, the nurse later said that she had no idea what Einstein had told her, as it had been in his native German, and she did not know the language. Hopefully it wasn't something that was that important, right? Number 16, the various dancing plagues between 1374 and 1518. Otherwise known as dancing mania, the dancing plague was a strange phenomena in Europe in which people would uncontrollably begin dancing and would be unable to stop. Many times the affliction would only end when those dancing passed out due to exhaustion. Fits of dancing mania occurred over centuries and have commonly been diagnosed by modern scholars as a mass psychogenic illness, meaning that it's likely there was nothing physically wrong with those dancing, but rather a social phenomena that convinced them that there was. Others have claimed that dancing was potentially the effects of spider bites or even ergo poisoning. Number 17, who put Bella in the witch elm? In April 1943, four boys discovered a human skull in the hollow trunk of a witch elm tree in Worcestershire. After investigating, police found the skeleton of a woman in the tree but were unable to identify her. The next year, graffiti was found around the area of reading, Who put Bella in the witch elm? Identifying the missing woman to the public as Bella. Though many are confident that Bella was murdered, the case often varies. Some believe she was killed by a lover, while some argue she served as an occult sacrifice. Number 18. What information was there in the Library of Alexandria? 
The Library of Alexandria, named for its location in Alexandria, Egypt, was considered to be one of the largest and most impressive libraries of its time. Not only did it hold a mass of reading materials, but it was also one of the few libraries that also contained works from beyond Egypt, as many travelers often brought back works from far countries to be read in the library. Accounts vary on how the library was destroyed, though many agree that Julius Caesar was responsible. Researchers are unable to determine if he had actually done so intentionally or accidentally. At any rate, the fire first began near the docks and quickly spread to the library, reducing it to rubble. Number 19, the Max Hedrum Broadcast Intrusion. On November 22, 1987, two television stations in Chicago, Illinois were hijacked by a man wearing a mask resembling Max Hedrum, an AI well-known in Britain. The hijacker first took over WGN-TV for about 28 seconds, swaying erratically but not speaking before the signal cut off and the original broadcast was able to resume. Later that night, at 11.20 p.m., the hijacker appeared again, this time on a local PBS station. This broadcast lasted about 90 seconds, and the hijacker spoke this time, with quick comments that included singing and showing his naked behind. Though the hijacker was never located, some believe that there may have been an underground hacker, or perhaps even an employee of WGN-TV. Well, all that is very interesting. We hope that you have enjoyed these entertaining abstracts for the day. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can shoot us an email. We will put that email address into the show notes. And occasionally we do post pictures. We're at podcast.addict. Until next time, stay safe, keep it real, and always live your very best life. Bye, guys.